Will there be swearing? Yes, there is quite a bit of swearing! I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton, I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this, that's the plan. Hello, Adam Buxton here. Sorry, I'm just finishing the end of a jazz apple. That's kind of rude, isn't it? Why didn't you just finish the jazz apple, then press record on the audio device buckles? Well, I don't know, I just didn't, all right? I've thrown it in a hedgerow now, the core, that is. The core. What a film that was. Listen, this is a very rambly start to uh, the podcast here. I apologise. I'm still finishing my mouthful. That was not the best jazz apple I've ever had. Normally, the jazz apple is just about the most reliably crunchy and sweet apple that I have ever tasted. But that one did not come from my normal supermarket. That was, um, I won't tell you which one it came from, but it wasn't quite as good as the ones I normally get. That's my honest voice. <laughs> that's, the, that's the voice I use when I'm being honest. If I'm talking to you like this, then I'm just, I'm being insincere and charming. But if I suddenly start talking like this, then uh, it means... I'm laying some truth on you, but I have to do it in a different voice. That's not true. Um, hey, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I am, once again, walking beautiful Rosie the dog. Although, she is currently a wall. I don't know where she is. I just carried on walking on the route. She may well have turned back and headed for home because it is not the nicest of days. Uh, it's, it's raining and it is, it's pretty windy. It's uh, quite Vim Winders, fairly Bluster Keaton and extremely David Blowy. Sorry, I'm sniffing. I'm getting over a Another little cold as well that I acquired last week. You may think, Buckles has always got colds. That would not be correct. My cold safari episode was recorded, well, the voice notes part, was recorded last year. So it's been over a year since my last cold. I don't consider that too bad for the old Buckles immune system there. Anyway, I'm getting over it now. It wasn't too bad. If you get it, it's one of the better ones going around. I think I got it on a plane coming back from Barcelona. Incidentally, thanks for all your tweet suggestions. I was in Barcelona a couple of weekends back uh, doing a couple of bug shows and uh, managed to wangle a ticket for my wife to come over with me. And so we had a a brilliant, brilliant um, weekend out there. But I didn't really have time to organise any actual activities, so... I ended up rather lazily leaning on Twitter and saying, hey, has anyone got any ideas for things that a couple of old hipsters could get up to in Barcelona this weekend? And I I slightly braced myself for 
some sarcastic uh, replies, but none came. In fact, they were all extremely helpful, and we ended up uh, enacting many of those suggestions. There was one person, in fact, a few people, who suggested a, a kind of groovy, healthy eating restaurant called uh, Flax and Kale or something. And um, so we went along there for breakfast, feeling a little bit beaten up after a slightly boozy night the night before. And it was so great. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so it was all, you know, just delicious fruit and... And they had all kinds of crazy smoothie flavours like lime, ginger, bergamot, lilac, temerity and Jeremy Corbyn's, a tiny bit of his blood. And it was delicious, let me tell you. Oh, just wonderful. But in the meantime, we, we walked around and we saw lots of the things that people recommended on Twitter. And I talk uh, later on in the podcast as well about another recommendation that I followed up um, and it was just wonderful we had such a great time so thanks if you gave us a bit of Barcelona advice anyway boy it's really windy now Rosie's miles away she's thinking no 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 I'm not gonna start walking around in this that's not fun I mean it's nice when when uh, the sun comes out and uh, I can chase rabbits and terrorise birds, but nah, not this. I'll see you back at home. She's got a very familiar sounding voice. So today's podcast, yes, it features a conversation, as you probably have realised by now, between myself and Rob Delaney, co-writer, co-producer and co-star of Channel 4's sitcom Catastrophe. That is, I suppose, how he is best known now, even though he's been a well-respected stand-up comedian for many, many years. He's an American man. I didn't know much about Rob, actually, to be frankly honest. I'd heard he struggles with um, clinical depression and alcohol addiction, which he has spoken about before, and he talks about that as well on this podcast at the end of our conversation. We met up in an edit suite in central London, where he was sitting in on the edit for um, one of the last episodes of Series 2 of Catastrophe. Um, And you can probably hear a buzzing in the interview. That is the buzzing of an edit machine filled to the brim with brilliant bits of footage featuring himself and co-writer and star Sharon Horgan, who I hope to speak to in this podcast at some future point. The show Catastrophe, if you haven't seen it, is really amazingly good. And I'm sure you've heard things about it because it is one of those shows that kind of arrived fully formed and it was really a no-brainer. It's like, okay, this all works. And it exploits the talents of both the performers, like Rob and Sharon, brilliantly all the things they can do everything just came into focus in that show and they say things to each other Sharon and Rob that I certainly wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable saying in my relationship for example but it's very uh, cathartic to hear them going at it so I might play a little clip here just by way of my own podcast teaser here we go 
Can you move your feet? That's really uncomfortable. No. <laughs> Can you make your legs less heavy? <laughs> Are you gonna make me do it? Why'd you make my legs like that? I'm sorry, I, I have a cramp. You didn't say, that actually hurt me. I said it was uncomfortable. I didn't know I had to give you a diagnosis. I asked you to move them and you didn't move them. It was just really aggressive. It wasn't aggressive. You're so aggressive. I'm aggressive. 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 It was even aggressive the way you said that, Mark Wahlberg. I'm not aggressive. When have I ever been aggressive to you? Uh, just now, the way you move my feet. I have a fucking cramp. <laughs> Don't loom over me. Don't threaten me. What? Do you know what threatened means? Yeah, and I felt threatened. You felt threatened? What are you, a blogger? I felt threatened. Post. Fucking Syrians are threatened. I felt threatened. You live on a cream puff. Do you want to take a walk and just, like, calm down? Okay. Where are you going? Out. Out? What are you, a teenager? Going for a drive. Bullshit, you're going to McDonald's. Fine, take your purse and get out of my house. Uh, this is my house. I bought this house. Fine, well then get off my rug that I bought in Amsterdam where I had sex with a guy whose last name I didn't even learn. Oh, like I haven't done that. With women. There you go. That certainly made me chuckle uh, when I watched it last night. So look, let's go to the conversation with Rob and I will be back for Mo rambling uh, at the end. Here we go. So we are in a fancy edit suite. Yeah, we are. In central London. Mm -hmm. What are you doing here? Uh, we're editing series two of Catastrophe, specifically episode five out of six. So nearly done. How are you feeling about it? Very happy. Uh, very gratified. Grateful. Um, I can't believe that we're enjoying series two. I mean, it felt, you know, crazy that... Uh, anybody would want to watch series one. Uh, we knew we enjoyed it, you know, when we were making it. Yeah. Then people liked it, which was crazy. And I was sure when we started to put two together, I'd think, well, you know, it's just not, you know, we didn't do a very good job. And the fact is, I'm really enjoying uh, watching it get cut together. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to release it uh, into the um, water table. And so you've turned around a whole second series mm -hmm. in the same year. That's outrageous. It feels outrageous. It was it was a lot of work. Yeah, was it? Yeah. How does, have you done a lot of writing with other people? Uh, no, this is really the first thing of any of any sort of stature. But or... you've written books though before. I did it? write a book. Yeah, I did write a book, which was a hateful experience compared to writing with a partner. Writing with a partner a lot more fun. Yeah. Uh, the older I get, I when I was younger, I I thought oh, maybe I'm a you know solo writer, you know misanthrope on the fringes, and no, in fact, I'm a social animal, and I like to be uh, with my fellow man <clears throat> and woman, and. 
So I, I, I like I, right now. I don't know if I would want to write another book anytime too soon because that's kind of lonely. You have to do it in a basement. And are you quite disciplined? Uh, no, not with a book. Writing with Sharon, I am because we sort of want to prod each other along. You know, we want to impress each other. Yeah. We want to drive each other. Um, Sounds quite sexual so far. It does. All it? the prodding, yeah, and the I driving. Mean, <laughs> um, I wouldn't know. Um, I. <laughs> but you're both happily married. I we think. are. Yeah. No, I mean, I wouldn't know because my I, the way I impregnated my wife is I. Um, issued my essence into a diet pepsi can behind a barn and then she just poured it <laughs> onto her ovaries so I've, I've never made love to a woman but um <laughs> that's the best that's the most efficient way i think that's how it's just um, easier doctors recommend that way yeah now, they do in america they do anyway yeah. um so maybe not diet pepsi that's that's true there's, there's a lot so of, many carcinogens there's a lot of weird stuff in there yeah. but uh no it's i enjoy writing with a partner because it's fun, you know, and you're talking and, and you can talk it out. You can write in a more performative manner mm. and uh, then it, which also polices you if you're saying it out loud. You know, you might write something on your own um, and then you go to read it out loud and you're like, hey, that would never come out of a human mouth. You know, yes. it's too hoity-toity or literary. And right. It's too wordy. Yeah, you don't want to hear that. I mean, that, that would stop. If you're watching a TV show and somebody talks like that, you're like, oh, right, I'm watching a TV show. And you don't want that to happen. Yes. Presumably, if you're happy with the, with the basic premise and um, there aren't too many problems there mm-hmm. and you're not suddenly going to run into a brick wall with the whole show, then it takes care of itself and it is fun. And you can just uh, go on flights of fancy and say, well, what terrible thing can happen to them today? For, for me, uh, a percentage of what you just said is true, uh, which is that it's fun. Can we, can Sharon and I still run into brick walls? Absolutely. Um, for example, our episode six, um, we really just threw away and rewrote wholesale. We had no other massive problems like that with the rest of series two, but episode six, we wrote it and we were like, I think we have to write a whole new one. Even though we had outlined it assiduously and there were isolated funny things in it, it just didn't kind of cohere into something we wanted to do. And so unfortunately, sometimes you have to actually write it before you realize that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so we can still have major, I mean, our, uh, if we're a, a, a van traveling down the motorway, yeah. we can still absolutely drive into a ditch. And, uh, and then when you have driven into a ditch, mm-hmm. do you start fighting with the other fellow in the van and saying, I never want to see you again. This is a nightmare. I wish I'd never got in this van. We don't. Um, we'll get mad um, at God. Mm. Um We'll get mad at um, our partnership or something, but I, you know we won't snipe at each other because we kind of it's frustrating. But we know it's nobody did anything wrong. You know, somebody tried to tell a funny story that it was you know heartfelt and moved in the right direction and it didn't work. You know, we tried to do a hard thing, but we had a problem, and then we've got to fix it. So, and there aren't. Do, do you have though those moments where you? lose confidence either in yourself or the other person and it becomes difficult and you think ah. yeah for sure yeah. for sure um again we're pretty democratic and i think we pretty function kind of yin and yangy in that i'm not going to be like 
I wouldn't look at something and be like, well, we've got a Sharon problem here. And uh, nor would I, on most days, look at my own sort of contribution for the day and think like, well, poor Sharon having to work with me. You know, mm-hmm. it's more, of course there's problems. And the, the what separates, I think, probably the professional writer who has a modicum of occasional happiness from uh, a miserable person or someone who isn't writing at all is that you get back on the horse or the van. I don't want to mix metaphors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I would well, you like climb to pronounce on top of the van yeah. and you ride it like a horse. Exactly. Yeah. I also mispronounced. I don't want to mix metaphors is what I said. What am I, a Kiwi? I don't want to mix <laughs> metaphors. I also don't want to mispronounce metaphors, the yeah. word. That's almost worse than mixing them. In a lot of ways it is. Because mm. it makes you look ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is a a show that has, uh, I think, appealed to a lot of people partly because of a level of truthfulness and honesty that they haven't seen in, in that kind of show before. That's what I got from it. Yeah, if that's true, that's great. I mean, certainly, um, you know, neither Sharon nor I are old, but we're not 22 years old either. So we're we kind of... We love to be silly, of course, yes. and shame on us if there's not capital S silliness in each episode. But the overarching thing, we wanted to do something that we cared about, which was really looking at the male-female dynamic and, uh, and, and what that's like to be in a marriage and to be parents. And it's extremely difficult. It's extremely funny. Um, and you have three children. Right? I have three children, just like you. When you told me you had three kids, I was so happy, and I just kind of relaxed because I felt here's a man that can understand what what my life is like. Yes, and that, and I'm I'm uh, in the future from you though. Yeah, your children are that much younger than mine, and yeah. I would I would describe your situation as still being in the tunnel, which is We're what I say tunnel. to anyone who has uh, one or more children who are. Younger than two. Yeah. Because that yeah. is maximum It's full-time. pretty physically brutal. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're trying to change a shit-filled, messy nappy uh, with a kid who's just started solid food, so their yeah. diapers are just like the Holocaust. And, it's like um, dog shit, isn't it? What's that? It's like dog shit. It's like dog shit. As soon as they start eating meat. So you're like, trying to... Oh, no. Now, nothing. Is... I have no sympathy for a parent changing a diaper. I have a, do have a little bit of sympathy, though, for the one trying to change a diaper while a two-year-old and a four-year-old crawl on them, try yeah. to pull their hair out, are biting each other. That's that's hard. So, so yeah, I have three kids under the age of five. Um, it's, it's really very difficult. Um, I'd have them all again as the exact same people. And you've people. got three boys. And three boys. Mate. Isn't that interesting? Because here we are, you know, we've got beards. Yeah. We're sitting um, crisscross applesauce. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what they now call what... I called Indian style as okay. a child, but it's very, the, very racist. It's very racist. So now we're doing, we're saying crisscross applesauce. Okay. That's and not so what I'm saying is we're a couple of, uh, you know, I, I fancy myself a progressive gentleman. Mm-hmm. I, uh, identify publicly as a feminist in private. We know that's not true, but yeah. no, I mean, but I mean to say, um, I'll, you know, I would surely go out into the street with a baseball bat to fight for the right of women to have all equal rights and everything. Then at the same time, um, now that I have children, 
Uh, I'm also becoming an elderly hunchback of a man who just says vitriolic things about either gender. Both negative, mind you. Mm-hmm. I have no kind words for men. I don't think that they're better. I think men and women are, are both terrible. I think boys and girls are terrible, each in their own way. And while we all deserve equal rights, unfortunately, I'm learning as a parent that a lot of the stereotypical things that I wanted to, as a parent, fight and resist and really just turn back the tide, turn over a new leaf, sure. maybe be given some awards as I did it, is just, that's just balderdash. What kind of thing are you thinking of? Boys are going to come into any space... And they're going to break and ruin everything in it. They might throw other people out the window. And <laughs> that they're going to do that, by and large. You can round it up to 100% of them are going to do it. Some yeah. of them aren't, but it's still closer to 100%. Whereas girls are going to sit quietly and play. And they're going to do things like um, exclude one of the... If there's three girls in a room, they're going to exclude one of them just for fun. They can't help themselves. They have to... And it's, so fascinating to observe uh, these things. I think that that's um, children under five in general, male or female. Okay. They did a study where um, they actually, you know, I just the, want to say quickly, I'm happy to be yeah. proven wrong here. Well, the, I'm by by no means am I going to prove you wrong. I'm okay. the master of half remembering things oh, that okay. I once overheard or read somewhere in a magazine, and then it turns out that my facts are entirely wrong. But as far as I'm aware. Um, if you actually like, if you poke your head into a classroom uh, of uh, under fives, mm-hmm. they all seem to be getting along and chatting away, and there's lots of hubbub, uh-huh. and and they're all playing happily together. But if you actually listen to what each one of them are saying, yeah. there's there's almost no communication going on between them whatsoever. They're just bollocking onto themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's um, just bananas. And it's it's after that age, I think, where they start becoming aware of mm-hmm. other people. Maybe it's not five, maybe it's younger than that. But then at a certain point, mm-hmm. they do actually start to empathize and, yeah. and consider what yeah. it is to communicate with another human being. And Yeah, to, to yeah my four-year-old boy. And I think him. girls probably do that faster than boys. Oh, they for sure do, yeah. yeah. All, all the things about girls being more mature and better at things at an earlier age are ex- beyond true. Um, they're true plus. They're yeah. truer than true. Maxi true. Maxi true. <laughs> um, yeah, my four-year-old, when he shows empathy, which he's really beginning to be able to do, I usually just sit down and cry for a little while because yeah. it's so beautiful. I don't even know what to do. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? Your kids, which you would giggling,ly run into traffic for um, not even to save them just like if they were like run into traffic daddy it'll make me happy you'd be like okay um, you they when they sleep or when they do something con- like you look at your kid when you're asleep and they're god they're so and it's really, I think, in a way, you're almost like reconnecting with a part of yourself that they're really trying to murder when they're awake. And uh, and then, I don't know what I'm talking about. You can see I'm very tired. I mean, they were out, they woke me up in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. Our baby sleeps quite well. Our two-year-old wakes up just all the time. Uh, I'm actually taking him to a doctor soon because he snores louder than a man. Oh, man. Uh, and you shouldn't do that when you're two. You're not nah. supposed to snore louder than a man. Roll um, him over onto his side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, I'll solve that. Um, do they know what you do? Do they understand? They're starting to get it. Uh, you know, like they'll see me on, on TV and stuff. Um, they don't watch Catastrophe, of course. Mm. Um, and it, in fact, if they never see it, that would be okay with me. I mean, when they're <laughs> older, it would be cool. Um, like, What about the rest of your family? Because Catastrophe, I, I wonder sometimes in the sex scenes, mm-hmm. 
like what do your partners make of it uh, what what does your partner make of some of that stuff because you must be drawing on some yeah. real bed tactics yeah and, um, and things that have happened to you mm, or is that not true oh bed tactics and stuff you know i don't know because definitely we for like intimacy type stuff i think we just more ask like what would be funny to show on television i mean definitely in some of the other stuff we uh we borrow from our own lives of course and from things that might have happened with our spouses or even just people that we know and stuff certainly we our characters function to sort of synthesize just things we've heard you know so that's not um autobiographical in the strict sense um you know the figure we jokingly throw around is it's like 40 per not 49 percent true what happens on the show it's probably less so in series two mm-hmm. um but uh yeah and the intimacy type stuff no i mean that would be weird i wouldn't even want to tell sharon in a room what uh you know my wife and i do no of course it would you be know. very embarrassing <laughs> so what do you do though because you there must be times when you are drawing on personal experience and do you try and disguise it as something you've just thought of oh that's funny yeah i would i'm not above that i would certainly fold an idea in that was too personal for myself to the concept of it being a flight of fancy that i just thought of yeah no yeah i I would do i would do that to sharon Um, and she to you, presumably. I hope so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you watch them with your partner? Uh, yeah, I watched all of series one, I think, with my wife. Yeah. Uh, series two, she saw the first two at a screening. So we're about to find out if we'll see the last few episodes together or not. I know next week we won't be together, so I guess it's up to my wife if she wants to watch it or not. Uh-huh. Um, and, and she likes it, presumably, does she? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's always weird when you watch stuff with your wife slash partner mm-hmm. I find yeah. my wife finds it incredibly embarrassing to watch anything I'm in oh wow okay uh, because she's worried for me right yeah that's and sweet she doesn't want people to hate me mm-hmm. it's weird because I'm, I used to think like well that just means that you think I'm shit yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and you're worried and you just don't want to deal with mm-hmm. people letting me know that right but it isn't that really because she does she does laugh at my jokes and stuff mm-hmm. but um She's just worried. She doesn't like seeing live stand-up comedy. She doesn't like okay. that anxiety that someone might fail. Right, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You do stand-up, right? I sure do. Sure you do. And you uh, have you uh, continued? I guess you haven't had much time, have you? Uh, no, but I'm going on tour in the spring. Right. Uh, and I've played around the UK a fair bit. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot more stand-up coming up, actually. When did you start doing stand-up? 2007 uh, is when I started doing it all the time. The yeah. first time I ever did it was like 2003. You like it? Oh, Christ. I love it so much. How do you go about getting stuff for that together then? Um, I write on stage. I'll think up a bit, you know, and have it like bullet pointed in my mind yeah. and then go on stage and work it out on stage. I used to write material out more before I did it in the earlier days but it uh, that's that rarely results in the funniest sort of uh, personal stand up I think you, it's best to discover it in front of a crowd not in front of a, a big theater but at a comedy club where you beat it out and you see how far you want to take it and what direction you want to go so 
So I'll think up things that are on my mind, and then I'll go discuss them on stage. And uh, I record uh, my stand-up so that I can listen to it afterwards. Oh, you actually do that? Yeah, audio. Because everyone, a lot of people record them, but I don't know how many people actually listen back to them. Oh, I certainly don't listen to it all the time. I just need it just in case I need to go okay. back and... Check the wording. Because sometimes you, you get a nice little riff on stage yeah. and you're like, oh, how did that go? Yeah, good yeah. luck remembering that. So yeah, that's yeah. why I audio record. Don't care about video. Yeah. Um, yeah, watching myself do stand-up. No need. Did Listening. you ever see that sure. Seinfeld uh, documentary, Comedian? Oh, many times. Love it. With Orny Adams. Have you ever gigged with Orny Adams? No, I never have. Um, I think I heard I've seen him around, uh, but I have never been in a lineup with him or spoken to him. Yeah, I don't think I've even... For anyone listening who doesn't know what I'm talking about, there was a documentary that came out 2002 or thereabouts. Sounds maybe? about right. About Jerry Seinfeld relaunching his stand-up career mm-hmm. um, after they finished doing the Seinfeld TV show, mm-hmm. and it juxtaposes the story of Seinfeld going back into the clubs with this um, story of a, a, a then fairly young comedian called Orny Adams. Mm-hmm who was trying to make a name for himself. And he's pretty, like, he's good. He's like a uh-huh. solid, technically yeah. Yeah. gifted, hard-working comedian. Yeah. But he's got this unbelievable level of sort of self-belief and mm-hmm. um, self-absorption. And he, yeah. the, whole, the whole business of doing comedy for him is a science. Yeah. And they go into his room and he's got shelves heaving with tapes of all his yeah. shows that he's done and notebooks where he goes through and he watches every set that mm-hmm. he does back and he takes notes yeah. and yeah. And it's it's sort of half impressive and half just like, mate, yeah. What are you that's not yeah, what it's about, yeah. is it's it? It's funny because, you know, we all I've gone and knocked my microphone oh. over. I I hope that I haven't shuttled the whole thing. Is that a word? Do you say that here? Shuttled? Shuttled? I don't know. I mean, I would say shuttled if I was moving from point A to point B. Shuttered? I don't know what I'm trying to say. Shat on? Shat on. That's what I have to say. <laughs> um, here, hang on. Let me let me aim it round at your uh, oh, magnificent beardy you. face a little more. There you go. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah, we're all, we all obsess over that stuff. I mean, one thing I remember from Orny Adams was... He was going to do uh, a set on Letterman, and he they wanted him to change a disease, the name of a disease that was in one of his jokes, from lupus to psoriasis. Uh-huh. And he, for whatever reason, you know, they maybe they thought they didn't want to get a laugh out of that name of that disease or whatever. Which I mean, call it your mistake number one. Diseases are funny, uh, no matter what. You know, <laughs> the worse the better. Um, and he had to change it from lupus to psoriasis, and he really didn't want to. And he was like weighing the co- the co- sort of comedic weight of each word. And I'm quite sympathetic to that. I mean, yes, because uh, you know the lang- the music of language, and just whatever the comic weight. I don't even quite know what lupus is. I know it can kill you, and it's debilitating. So it's it's freighted with yeah. I think a lot of people don't know what lupus is. I think they're aware that it can be terrible. Yes. So that's like scary and mysterious, um, which are major building blocks of of laughs. Yeah. So and then he had to change it to psoriasis. Hey, well, everybody has freaking psoriasis. Who doesn't know somebody has psoriasis? You know. So <laughs> have you not, seen the Seeing Detective? Yeah. yeah. So um, 
I really felt for him that he had to change lupus to psoriasis. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> anyway, but then he's also nuts. I mean, you know, the the guy presented in that documentary certainly wouldn't want to hang out with. I mean, he's bananas, you know? Yeah. And super obsessive, which a lot of comedians are. But then I don't know. I mean, I also have a hard time now as somebody who is for the current moment able to make a living from stand-up it's also hard to criticize other people who can do that because you just know how hard it is you know and like anybody like are you making people laugh are you making people laugh so dependably that they come and pay you to do it you know you know then whether or not i think you're necessarily funny or you're my cup of tea i'm still going to identify with you a little bit because i mean you are climbing i won't say everest but Maybe Mount Rainier in, yeah. uh, you know, outside of Seattle. You know, that, uh, <laughs> not quite as dangerous as Everest, but uh, maybe people die yeah. every few years on the, on the mountain. But do you find yourself backstage happily getting into all the comedy science conversations about, like, you know, what comedians talk about, all the sort of forensic Sometimes, level? sometimes. N- not, yeah, that can be fun yeah. with my friends, you know, but I don't want to. You know, that's also selective. That's like, and it's not like trade secrets because there's no such thing as a secret. You could give somebody a a bound book of all your life, work, habits, and secrets, and they're not going to do a goddamn thing with it. So there's no um, danger in that. But I I guess I'm selective with who I comedy nerd out with. Uh, I don't know. I don't know necessarily why. Because maybe because it's kind of intimate a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. And what was the stuff that you really enjoyed when you were growing up? Uh, comedy wise um, you know what's funny is uh, the new Star Wars movie is coming out and um, I remember some of the first rewinding I ever did on a VCR Mm. was in Star Wars uh, the original Star Wars Uh, Chewbacca is on the Death Star Mm -hmm. um, and or he might be on Darth Vader's big ship anyway he uh some commander level, whatever, sees him. Uh, maybe lieutenant, not quite commander. Sees Chewbacca and goes, and get that thing out of here. And I remember screaming, laughing at that. That guy calling him a thing. Mm. And uh, and rewinding it again and again and laughing at that. Another one. And when Leia calls him a big walking carpet, that's quite... A, so good. That's pretty good for So me good. Well. I mean, yeah. so that was one of my first big laughs. Probably the moment that I understand understood like the real power of comedy, like the alchemical power of what comedy could be, was when I was in a restaurant in Massachusetts uh, where I grew up, and some guy came into the table next to us, and he, he was late for lunch, and he apologizes to the people there. Now we're in a little town outside of Boston, Massachusetts. The guy comes in, he goes, "Hey, sorry, I'm late." I had the park in fucking Tel Aviv. And I just was like, what? It was like the world stopped for me. Like, he didn't have to park in Tel Aviv. So, But he also wasn't lying. He was using language to like express a concept in a way that had just a dissonance that just you had to laugh. And he said fuck, which was cool as well. Um, and uh, and then Tel Aviv, what a lovely sound that is, you know. And so to me, that's when I was like, huh? I thought I had stumbled upon like a wizard who like, whoops, by mistake, had like done a magic trick. Um, 
And so to me, that to me is like maybe I heard that at the right moment. Um, so to sort of be indoctrinated into, like I wanted to reproduce that. And to me, they don't, jokes don't get much better than that right there, you know? You're trying to ease tension. You're late. You're not supposed to be late, you know? Like, maybe the people are getting hungry, and they're frustrated with you. You come and you say something that makes everybody smile and laugh, including a little kid at the next table. I mean, what a uh, mitzvah yeah. uh, to, to do that. I said mitzvah because Tel Aviv is in Israel, and, uh, Brilliant, man. Your stuff yeah. is very Thank finely you. Worked. Yeah, I'm operating at a high, high level right now. It, well, if you read the Talmud, you recognize... No, I don't know. We're <laughs> out of my depths. I didn't tell you. You were like, who, you were like what comedians did you like as a kid? Oh, no, not like, really. I was just thinking... <laughs> you, you, you did exactly what I hoped you might do uh, in a far less boring way um, than I was imagining, if that makes uh, sense. You know what um, I mean? Like, well, basically, I was just thinking, what an incredibly lame question. What are your comedy influences? Mm-hmm. And, and actually, you gave me a, a more interesting answer than just saying, well, I enjoyed uh, the work of uh, Jerry Just Lewis a list. And, I just give you a list. Yeah. That's like how Werner Herzog says, you know, that if facts were the important thing, then the Manhattan phone book would be the most interesting book in the world. But yeah. it's not. That's why even when you're making a documentary, you have to just really put your imprimatur on it, tell the story you want to tell. There's a whole genre of... Um, I've just suddenly noticed that there's a load of American comedians who are into doing Werner Herzog impressions. Well, I mean, he's an amazing singular character. You know, at the end of the day, uh, he's just amazing, and you don't need to put him through um, your own second-rate um, psyche to make him interesting. You know what I mean? And mm. he's just so amazing on his own. But then also, yes, he has a funny voice and is easy to ape, uh, which have you one seen, should do. You like his stuff, presumably. Um, yeah. Have you seen the one about uh, Kinski, My Best Fiend? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's quite a thing, isn't it? Mm. Fitzcarraldo. What's the documentary about Fitzcarraldo? Burden of Dreams. Burden of Dreams. Jesus Christ. That's good. The jungle. Yeah. Murder. <laughs> and and then he makes fun of himself beautifully in an in incident at Loch Ness. I haven't seen that. Uh, yeah, the Zach Penn film. That's amazing. What's that one? It's a joke documentary where Zach Penn recruits actual Werner Herzog to go to Loch Ness and it's in the style of a Herzog documentary. No way. Herzog is so on board with it in such a delicious way. I mean, it's really fun. And it's not too cheesy because sometimes that kind of thing can be a bit self-congratulatory. Yeah, no. Good old Werner. Because Zach Penn is a sure hand, you know, Mm. um, that's storytelling, so he knows what he's doing. Do you watch a lot of documentaries? Mm, No. I mean, yes, number-wise. If you're on a transatlantic flight... Yeah. And you have the, um, you know, they've got quite an amazing selection now, Mm -hmm. don't they, on those things Mm -hmm. of stuff you can watch. What are you going to watch? Well, first, I'm going to see if they have uh, Catastrophe. Yeah. And uh, then I'm going to watch See if you can leave comments. Yeah, I'm going to watch it long enough so that I can, like, hit uh, the star or the recommend or something like that while I read. So I'll just turn it on and let it run. Thank you. Then after that, I mean, I, I watched on a London to L.A. flight not too long ago. I watched the whole first series of True Detective. I watched eight hours in a row of oh True Detective. Oh, my God. Did that not just make you... Oh, I was insane at the end of it. Um, 
in a great way. I, I had a lot of fun doing it. It's quite um, a depressing show, though, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, did you watch the whole first series? Yeah, man. Um, yeah, but you know what? It's funny because it was kind of an influence on on Catastrophe because of their conversations that they have in the car. Yeah. You know, the way they sort of <laughs> philosophize in a way that, you know, there's, you know, questionable as to whether or not it's advancing the story, but they're having fun conversations. Yeah. It sort of is and isn't. So, uh, yeah, I loved True Detective Series 1. I find myself... I sort of binge on these things, like a right. lot of people, right, yeah. with, the, with the box sets, yeah. And it's like podcasts as well, I suppose. And I've talked about this before on this podcast, about how much you can get obsessed by a person mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. you suddenly have this relationship with via this medium where you're hearing these conversations and they become part of your uh, routine. Mm-hmm. And similarly, when you get into one of those box set shows, whether it's... Mm-hmm. You know, the wire or for me it was the first time i watched breaking bad Mm -hmm. i was obsessed by it and i couldn't stop watching it because it was so compelling and brilliant but i began noticing that i was pretty sad like a lot of the time Mm. because it is horrible Mm -hmm. what's Mm -hmm. happening in this thing Mm -hmm. and these all these individuals are basically having their lives irrevocably ruined and um i i i I just started getting very melancholy. Yeah. Am I yeah. taking it too seriously? No, no, no. That makes sense. You should. I think that's a sign of emotional health. Uh, does that happen to me? Uh, not that I can think of, but I also don't watch a lot of box sets. It is rare for me to right. delve into that. Maybe, a, you know, like a book or something. That's why you get stuff done. Um, well, you know, my wife, it's funny because my wife is such an amazing uh, partner for me to have because she doesn't like to watch a lot of TV and our time, once we get the kids together, is pretty limited. So if she doesn't want to watch something, I don't get to watch it. Yeah. So that's that. And uh, so she is just, like, military in her insistence that we get outside, get into nature, read, read aloud to each other. I mean, she's it's, like, robotic in a wonderful way. So she really provides an amazing sort of uh, skeleton for keeping our intellects going yeah you know? yeah and, and so i'm very grateful for that it's very interesting because we sort of collide and butt heads in a lot of different ways but yeah. it's it's good it's good for me you know i don't know what she would say about that but she's a very positive influence on my life and the way that i spend my time big time i mean so. the thing is that me and my wife uh, we do tend to enjoy the same kind of level of, well, we have what we call party night, which is mm-hmm. Friday, Friday night and Saturday mm-hmm. night. And that tends to be just like, uh, once the children are dispatched, mm-hmm. we've got, we've got like quite a nice big projection screen that you mm-hmm. pull down and, uh, stick on the projection screen and just watch like, um, whatever's on Gogglebox oh I love it and great I saw one of the women from Gogglebox uh, at the Victoria station the other day oh which one I got so excited can't remember her name you know the two black women yeah they're the best oh Oh. so excited Um, Sandy and Sandra oh you're kidding oh god that's so great I don't know if it was Sandy or Sandra Um, I guess because they both have Sandra I don't um, know they both have will both wear like fantastic outfits and nails and stuff. Yeah. So I don't know how to tell you. <laughs> I think it's the lady with the short hair has um, 
these demented rings that she wears. Like, there's always I think some... this, this one typically has longer hair. So okay, yeah, Sandy yeah. Or Sandra. Anyway, I got I very know. excited. Yeah, they're great. They're amazing. They should have their own show. They really should. I didn't go up to her and be like, oh my god, I'm so Yeah. You know, because I you know what it's like to get that and it's not like a big value add to your day when somebody does that you'd kind of rather enough people are going to do it anyway you might as well just be able to walk down the street so i figured the nicest thing i could do for her was not to freak out yes yes yes. i managed not to sometimes like a nice smile is really good you know when you Mm -hmm. when you see that someone has recognized you (laughs) and they just yeah that could be nice it's i I like those yeah yeah and you think okay Uh um and that, like, we saw Ron Wood the oh other day. God. We were in Barcelona, me Holy and my wife. Mackerel. I was doing some, um, a couple of shows in Barcelona, and wow. uh, we were wandering around during the day. My wife's like, "There's Ron Wood." Wow! <laughs> and I thought she was joking, like it was an old guy that looks like Ron. Well, Wood. Well, a lot of Catalonian women look like Ron Wood. No, I'm just kidding. They're like all beautiful and amazing. <laughs> a lot of old ones, maybe. And if this isn't sexy enough already, I mean, obviously, I you know, I don't think I have to sell your listeners on the fact that Spain is a candidate for best place in the world yeah um is that I it so happens I speak French and I can remember getting along kind of okay in uh in Catalonia because Catalonian is a kind of blend of French and Spanish oh really I mean it's just a sexy place that takes naps yeah yeah stays up late I mean Get over They'll yourself. Sm- smoke wherever you the want. Rest of the world. That's not really. We're nipping at their heels. Just... You know. Uh, you know Todd Barry. Sure do. Love him. Yeah, great American comedian. And he, um, I tweeted that I was in Barcelona mm-hmm. and said, "Has anyone got any good uh, suggestions for what me and my wife could do? Anything for a couple of old hipsters mm-hmm. to get up to?" And he recommended this bar called Bar Pastis. Oh, wow. And so I tracked it down and I said, come on, let's go and uh, investigate Todd's bar. So we go there. I don't know exactly what I was expecting, Mm -hmm. but it was down a little alley off La Rambla, off the main tourist drag. And you go down and and, and suddenly you're in a weird kind of pee-pee smelling Mm -hmm. little tiny street. And at the end of it is this old weird bar that we go into and it is the size of a small toilet cubicle mm-hmm. you know what i mean uh-huh like the one we met at or even smaller it, it's smaller than oh that. my god yeah less less uh, wow. that was very roomy <laughs> there's room to maneuver if you remember <laughs> i do and um in this one though there was only, there was like two two guys sat at the bar actually no there's the three people sat at the bar there's this old bloke who looked a bit like philip larkin who was um the bartender um and there was a middle-aged couple who were um, setting up their mics and just about to start a set over like you know two feet away from you on this tiny little raised platform and the whole place was all done up with crazy bits of old photographs and knickknacks and there was a strange bit of sculpture a, a, a weird mannequin with uh, fairy lights draped on it hanging from the ceiling and the ceiling itself was Blackened. It was like the hull of a, an old galleon or something, you know. Wow. It was such a cool place. But it was one of those things, you go in there, there was no way we could go in and immediately turn around and go out. Mm. Because we were in the little mm-hmm. special box and we had to stay there. And I was thinking, okay, let's see how this goes. But then the couple started playing and um, it was just great. 
and they were singing this kind of slightly wonky, demented. I might play a little bit here right now because I recorded some of it. Oh, so fun! Here's a clip. <laughs> just ended up being one of those things it's like oh this is brilliant we would mm. never have found this place mm. it's one of the good things about twitter yeah yeah truly that's funny when you said uh, asking uh, for suggestions of what to do in barcelona yeah. and you said todd barry weighed in with a su- suggestion i would positive he was going to tell you that you should watch one of his stand-up specials <laughs> <laughs> my barcelona crowd works <laughs> oh i went to uh, one of his crowd work shows it was so great Yes, yeah, so, well, he was talking about maybe doing some in the UK. And, oh, um, God, he should. Asking about venues and saying, do you think it would be a good idea to do it? Mm. Do you think people would be mean, he was saying. Oh. And I was thinking, no. No, I, I think some people might be, but if... Okay, people... There are enough people here, uh, certainly in London, who are going to know who he is uh, and know the setup. And then he still runs the ship. It's not like he's at the crowd's mercy. No. You know, he's he really knows what he's doing. So I think he should do it here, especially in a country where people love to talk back, you know? Yeah. So. No, it'd be great. It'd be really good. But yeah, Ron Wood. And he looked mm-hmm. like an old puppet. Um, and I was surprised. And he looked totally carefree. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you see maybe some famous people and they look hounded and yeah, hunted yeah, 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 yeah. they're just trying to get to the next place totally. without getting hassled you yeah. know fair enough but he was just like wandering around chuckling away to the lady that uh, he was with okay. who my wife informs me is his latest um, oh, partner wow. and um, you know didn't have shades on or anything like that well done, and it did on. cross my mind to sort of go up and I mean, for, for for a tiny second, like, yeah. you know, go up and say hello or something. But then I thought, no, of course you wouldn't do that because yeah. his life, his daily routine must be just every five minutes he has to oh, stop. Yeah. Must be a nightmare. Yeah, I'm trying. I think like probably I, the most famous person I've ever just like seen just in in public, not guarded by a billion people on a stage or whatever, is Ringo Starr, and um, I, I definitely just didn't bother him. <laughs> yeah yeah have you ever gone up to someone famous and... I don't think I have um, not in not in public you yeah. know I might have introduced myself if we were at a thing or whatever yeah you know uh, but no I generally do don't um, like I remember my uncle pushed me in front of Harry Connick Jr. Uh, <laughs> when I was uh, 12 maybe because uh, we had gone to see a show of his, and then we were able to go backstage, and um, and my uncle, I didn't know how to approach him or what to say, like, 
when really, if it's just been his show, uh, a nice entry would be like, hey, great show. You know, there's, yeah. it's, it's a pretty easy way to do it, but I just didn't know what to do. And my uncle pushed me in front of him and said, this is my nephew, Robbie, and he has all your records and tapes. And I was like, Ugh. And uh, you know what I do remember, though, is he shook his hand. He stuck his hand out for me to shake, which I did. And he had really hairy hands, oh. which made me feel comfortable because I have hairy hands. So I'm glad my uncle did that because I got to hold hands with another hairy-handed man. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, I knew it, it can be really fraught, you know, saying hello to people that you don't know. Yes, yes. It's it's usually inadvisable. Jingle break. It's a break from the podcast. In between the next bit and the bit that was last. Every now and then you have to take a little rest. Otherwise you're going to get tired and depressed. Take a look around. Think that you exist. Think about the person you last kissed. Right, that's enough. Now think about peace. Think about sausages, think about trees Think of alien vehicles moving out in space Think about the wonder on the little baby's face And now think of Stevie Wonder's face on the baby's face Now stop thinking completely Cause you're ready for the next part of the podcast Here it is I mean, at the moment I'm getting a picture of you Having mm. not really ever met you properly before Right of being quite well balanced like you seem to not have too many hang-ups is that fair no uh it's it's not well fair i don't know i mean i would say it's not accurate i mean i'm a pretty it's like i don't exercise as much now that i have a third kid i used to love to exercise yeah i do have to do my, my life is regimented in the sense that like i have been sober for 13 almost 14 years now so i don't drink after you had um, a car accident after i had a car accident and so i don't drink i do find i have to take pretty good care of my mind and body generally or my mind at least won't work very well um so like you but you suffer from depression is that right yes so i take antidepressants yeah um and so I have to do that. And then in addition to that, it's I have to eat fairly well. I definitely have to get enough sleep. So it's almost like to prop up my uh, jalopy of a, of a mind and a brain. I do have to stay somewhat fairly regimented. But once sort of the basics are taken care of, I mean, all I fantasize about now is just sleep. Just weeks and weeks of sleep. Because with three kids under the age of five yeah. and uh, a TV show in which you know we write and star in and and produce um it's just you know i really would love to lie motionless on a floor for at least three weeks and then get up and go to the bathroom and then lie down for another three yeah um so those are my greatest fantasies right now and in fact i said fantasy it's just one fantasy i just want to sleep um but i don't and i won't get to for some time so i guess why not work you know with the waking hours are you one of these people that needs to work in order to just... Because if you weren't working, you would get too introverted and then you would start to slide into a problematic mental area? Yeah, it's important for me to work. I think it's important for everybody to work. Um, I, I'm paraphrasing, but Chekhov said something along the lines of, yeah, we're not here to be happy, we're here to work. Right, right, right. And, uh, and I, I like that. Yeah, we have to work. We're worker bees. But, 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 and, and, but do you have signals where you think, oh, hang on, like I'm feeling pretty bad, I'm kind of sliding into a bad area now. And if, and if you do have those, then what are they like for you? Is it like you just start to get negative with yourself or you start to just feel bleak about everything yeah or? doom feel doomy 
um, like nothing, like things are going to start to really uh, systemically fall apart. And so you very become bad. sort of chronically pessimistic. Yeah, I can, but I also have learned. For me, the big thing I have to do is uh, fake it till you make it, which is uh, okay. Pretend I have an appetite, you know. Pretend um, I it's bedtime and I have to get into bed, you know. Pretend. Um, I want to exercise, pretend I have to put one foot in front of the other and get these tasks done. So I definitely, um, but do you fall off the wagon sometimes and you just think, fuck this, I'm just going to do what I want. Uh, not for very long. Because then everything would unravel. Yeah. It's the thing though is, and this is a good thing about families, I think is I've sort of booby trapped my life with all these people who need me and I need them, you know, so that's why I actually don't think of that as like a, a negative. I mean, that's one of the big positives of people in your life with good people and becoming all interwoven and codependent, not in a negative sense, but you know, I can't really, if I, you know, just fuck off on my own, other people are going to be hurt. I don't want to do that, you know, and then I can work backwards. It's easy for me to think of other people first and realize they need me. And then after catering to them a little bit, be like, oh, hey, look at that. This is also good for me, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe that's backwards. I don't know, but um, I don't care. It seems like you've reached a point of enlightenment that's still ahead of me. No, certainly not. (laughs) Certainly not. You know, uh yeah, like I said, I don't exercise now that I have three kids. I take two antidepressants every morning, which I feel... Do they zonk you out a bit? No, not at all. Okay, uh, Antidepressants now, SSRIs and SNRIs, are so fucking many light years ahead of what they used to be. Oh, really? Yeah. And they're constantly changing them. I mean, one of the good things about, you know big pharma is they're just spending billions of dollars figuring out oh is there an unnecessary isotope in this particular strand of the dna they were whatever that makes up this medicine okay we can remove it uh-huh. so uh but i still would like to figure out how to not take them but i am one of those people you know how you hear about like the overdiagnosis of depression yes and, and uh drug companies peddling things I happen to not be one of those people. Uh, they take, they make me be not uh, actively suicidal. Yeah. Um, and they allow me to eat. They allow me to sleep. You know, so they allow me to do the basic things. So I uh, need them. And did you arrive at being. that point um, after having tried therapy and those kinds of things? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In fact, depression for me only showed up after getting sober. Um, right, so because your booze was just blocking yeah, all this stuff Yeah, it was kind out. of self-medicating. So about a year, not quite a year after um, my accident, which prompted me to get sober, that's when my brain really stopped working. You know, it was like a thunderbolt just got hurled into it. Man, that's frightening. And, yeah, it was. It was very frightening. And... Um, so, so I started taking medication then, and it's been, you know, jiggered with, and I've experimented a little bit, of course, under a psychiatrist's care. But yeah, now, uh, 12 years down the line with managing depression, um, I take, uh, you know, the smallest amount, which isn't a small amount, of, uh, of two drugs in tandem, 
that uh, are are good for me, and it is it's smart that I take them. Mm. But you know, you don't want to. Do you want to wake up and take a pill or two every day? I don't. I'd love to. Uh, so I struggle with the sort of things that even somebody early in beginning to accept the fact that they might be dealing with depression might deal with, which is like the stigmas of mental illness. I feel like uh, deficient sometimes. Uh, I feel weak sometimes that I have to do these things to manage my depression. But I don't listen to those voices or sort of grant them enough audience that I'm going to act on them. You see, from my point of view, it just... You seem so much more um, admirably in control of your life and so much more... um, like you're actually dealing with the challenges that life throws at you, whatever they are. For some mm-hmm. people, it's depression. For other people, it's, you know, various forms of disability or other kinds of illnesses or, I don't know, just fucking shit that happens, you mm-hmm. know. And um, everybody struggles to find the right way to respond to those challenges. And a lot mm-hmm. of people just don't and, and slide into bad habits and mm-hmm. and life gets the better of them. But, you know, here you are. I must say, from from the outside looking in, doing quite a good job of it. Well, uh, A, thank you. B, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I do believe that if I don't manage my alcoholism and my depression, that I'll literally die. Mm -hmm. So I kind of... To me, I have to do these things and I have to guard and protect my sobriety and my sanity so that I can stay alive. Not so that I can't be miserable, but that I'll literally die. Because my depression, uh, untreated, was saying, kill yourself, kill yourself, fucking kill yourself. Um, And it was extremely physically painful, by the way, which Mm. I think is important to mention. Uh, Depression, for me at least, was accompanied by incredible thrumming unbelievable physical pain really yeah and um so there's that and then my drinking you know the last time that i got drunk i wound up in a wheelchair in jail uh with two broken with one broken wrist one broken arm and someone threw you in front of harry connick jr they threw me in front of harry connick jr and he's as i said he's very hairy and he tore me limb from limb um, yeah, what happened? Uh, I drove. I was in a blackout, drunk. Oh, this was the, the, the car accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And so, and and it, it was, it had been heading really steadily towards that. You know, if it, my life were, were controlled by a knob, somebody was really ratcheting it up. Um, somebody, I, I just absolved myself of all. I don't know who was doing it. <laughs> you know, I suspect it may have been Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know. It was really steadily, in a graduated manner, getting to that point. So it wasn't like, what? Did you hear what happened to Rob? People were like, oh, of course that happened to Rob, you know, because uh, I was really just in a methodical fashion heading in that direction. So so for me to drink would be to die, for me to, to, to disrespect my depression uh, and not treat it would be to die. So if I have to not drink and I have to manage my, and not just not drink, but do it in a way where I can be happy and a contributor to society, mm. um, I guess what I mean is by respecting the fact that I can't drink personally, I'm nothing against alcohol, just I can't drink it, 
and respecting my uh, depression have been allowed me to have been it's been quite powerful you know it has granted me sort of access to a lot of wonderful things by accepting a couple big basic truths uh that that again wouldn't make me sad or blue or miserable but would make me a coffin contents you know um coffin fodder coffin fodder yeah so and there are rewards though you know like when you think about uh booze and drugs and and the escape that those kinds of things afford or you think they afford Mm -hmm. then those are the rewards there it's like oh i'll be able to get out of my head i'll be able to get away from myself right um and that's the reward and if someone took that away then where am i gonna get my rewards Mm. but you know obviously as you found you are rewarded in all kinds of other ways by making a success of your family and and your work and all those things <laughs> yeah or just at least, have a bunch of kids and even if they're <laughs> have a bunch of kids yeah and even if they're not you know because it's not all like yeah as we've said having a family's hard and there's lots of trials and moments there mm-hmm. where you just think oh i'm terrible at this yeah oh um, yeah yeah i mean it's worth it I, I i don't proselytize i would i would i would never say to somebody have kids i'm super glad i did you know yeah. um but uh yeah, of course it's hard. Yeah. Man, I know that you've got to carry on editing your show. <laughs> um, so I'm going to wrap things up. But thanks so much for talking to me, Rob. I really hey, appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. It. So really... nice to meet you. I've seen you before at Things. Uh, I've seen you. Uh, and uh, I've always kind of thought, oh, he looks nice. And then I saw <laughs> when Catastrophe came out, I just, it was one of those things, and I'm sure this has been said to you before, where it's, it's so delightful, it's so joyous when you see a show that you in, instantly connect with. You just think, oh, this is great. And then it, and then it keeps delivering, and, and um, it's really a, a wonderful thing, very enjoyable, and I can't wait to. I haven't started watching series two yet. I've got a few of those in the bank, and me and my wife are going to sit down and... On your big screen? Yeah, on party night. Right on. That's what's going to happen tonight. I love it. So thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Really best appreciate it. best of luck it. with everything. <coughs> Fun and, stuff. Yeah, and see you soon. Thanks, buddy. Fun stuff indeed. The lovely Rob Delaney there. Very much appreciate him giving up his time to talk to me. It was really nice to meet him and get to know him a little bit. you got to fake it to make it. Sometimes that's just what it comes down to, isn't it? You've got to put one foot in front of the other. Yeah? Okay. Um, the bar, the clip of the people in the bar there in Barcelona, I didn't give them credit. And that's because I didn't know what their names were. I'm just hoping that they won't object to me giving them a bit of free pod publicity. But if you're ever in Barcelona, you can go and check out Bar Pastis. Although I'm just looking at the TripAdvisor reviews here. And uh, it's not a very good one here. Avoid this place. This is supposed to be a traditional old-time Barcelona bar slash cafe. But don't go here. The drinks are very expensive and the service is awful. The place is supposed to have character, but what it really is, is a dump. Just don't bother. There are so many fun things to do in Barcelona. Barcelona. Don't waste your time here. Well, I don't agree with that. Um... John Chapel. Uh, here's another more positive review. Authentic charm. If you're looking for something truly charming, then you have to visit Bar Pastis. Says Helgak16. 
Stepping inside the door is like stepping back in time. Fantastic relaxed atmosphere coupled with great music. I think we've established that. Drinks are reasonable considering the history oozing from every crevice. I don't know what that means. Does he mean like there might there's so much history oozing out of the crevices that it might get in your drinks and despite that they are still reasonable. I think maybe he's talking about the price. Um they didn't seem too expensive to me, but what do I know? Yeah? I've got to check my privilege. The barman has been described in previous reviews as grumpy. I beg to differ. While being quite standoffish in the beginning, if you give him a chance, he will regale you with anecdotes of mad nights out. This bar has to be visited by those who appreciate and embrace the essence of what a good bar should be. Well, I must say I agree with that. Hellgack. I thought it was pretty great. And what's the worst that could happen? You just turn around and leave. Okay. Other business. Oh yeah, I've been meaning to say for a while that I have an app, the Adam Buxton app. It's free from all good app outlets, and it's uh, pink and has my silly face on it, like the same icon that I have on uh, my uh, Twitter profile. And it is from the good people at Download, D W N L D, and uh, they basically give you the tools to create your own app for free. They're not sponsoring the show by the way. It sounds like I'm doing a read, but they did make me a free example of this app which anyone can download. So I thought it would be uh polite to give them a shout out. It essentially aggregates my online presence under the banner of one app. So you can check out the latest blog posts that I've made, uh some of them about these podcasts and see my youtube videos and see what i've been tweeting and all that incredible stuff so check it out the adam buxton app on itunes created by download d w n l d uh giving you the tools to create your own free app So I'm limbering up as you can tell for the new year when I hope I'll have a sponsor for this podcast. My plan, let me tell you, for the next few weeks is to do a few more episodes and then I hope I'm going to do a Christmas special with Joe Cornball's Cornish. I emailed him the other day, he said he was up for the idea. So I'm going to pin him down and we'll we'll do some Christmas rambling for you, I hope if all goes well. And then I'll take a little break. and relaunch in the new year with the new look Adam Buxton podcast. No, it'll be the it'll be the same, but I hope it will have a sponsor attached to it. If you're interested in sponsoring this show and you've got giant pockets and you aren't involved with uh dealing arms or ruining people's lives actively, then do get in touch. And that includes Squarespace by the way. I mean, we can still be friends even after the Spacequest thing, right? I'm very happy to do a vault fast on that if it means um some sponsorship. And there's got to be a way of doing a Squarespace ad that isn't teeth grindingly annoying, right? I'm up for trying it. So, that if that happens will enable me to spend some money on a producer and uh, I hope one of the things a producer will do as I said before is to vary the kind of um people that I get together with for these conversations. Uh speaking of which, I am going to tease my guest next week because it is an actual woman. A woman. Uh, and that's only happened once thus far on the podcast. 
Otherwise, it's been a kind of uh, succession of white males, albeit brilliant ones. But next week, I am meeting an actual woman, and she is very talented and funny, a writer, not only of newspaper columns, but of best-selling books, and a wonderful TV show that she co-writes with her sister. Of course, I'm talking about Catelyn Moran. That conversation is in the bag, and it was very enjoyable as well. It was the first time I'd met her, and I... I really liked meeting Catelyn and uh, I, I've admired her and her work and her ideas for a while now. So it was uh, good to meet up with her. You can hear the fruits of that conversation next week. But that's enough woofling for now. Until next we are together. Take care. I love you. Bye. This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area. And spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code Buxton to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Hey. How you doing, very end of podcast Nugget fans? Adam Desperate to Please Buxton here with one more morsel for you. And this week I am delving back into the archives. In fact, the Adam and Joe archives for a piece of music that I always really loved and felt that I had an excuse to roll it out this week because of the John Lewis Christmas ad over here in the UK, which features the Oasis song. In fact, it's a cover of the Oasis song, Half the World Away. And the original of that song was, of course, used as the theme tune to the show The Royal Family, one of the greatest shows from the 90s or any other decade for that matter. And we did a spoof version of it on the Adam and Joe show back in the day with Star Wars figures. I guess you can find it online somewhere, maybe. But um, the thing that I was most excited about when we did that was recreating the Oasis theme tune and putting Star Wars appropriate lyrics in there. So, uh, And also we had to change the tune ever so slightly so we wouldn't get sued. And I drafted in, I was able to draft in Fran Healy from Travis. And he, and he was nice enough to come over to my flat and we spent a very enjoyable afternoon recording a, a, a sort of acoustic version of that with him adding percussion on a box of Quality Street and tapping a wine glass and just sang this lovely vocal in a couple of takes. It was very, it was a great afternoon. Anyway, I re-gifted to you now. Bye-bye.
Jed, I would like to leave this city. Jawas and panthers don't smell too pretty. And since the evil empire fell, all we do is watch TV. I've had more fun with my Millennium Falcon and my blaster and stun. Galaxy far away, far, far away, far, far Yeah?